Welcome to session two of the fasting practice. Last week, we began our journey of fasting. If you fasted for the first time or for the first time with your community, well done. Your fasting may have felt hard, and that's okay. It's a part of the journey, and it will likely get easier as you continue on. For others, your fasting might have been a sweet time of communion with Jesus. Wherever you are on the spectrum, remember that your discipleship to Jesus is a lifelong process. Today, we continue the journey by exploring fasting as a way to grow in holiness. But before we get into the teaching, jump into triads and debrief your experience from week one. Circle up with three or so people, ideally the same people from last session, and share about your time of fasting to whatever degree you feel comfortable. We encourage you to be as honest as you possibly can. Resist the urge to fake it. Just name your experience. Here are a few questions to talk through. Number one, what was your experience like? Number two, where did you feel resistance? And number three, where did you feel delight? Take a few minutes to discuss. The novelist Nikos Kazantakis, in his autobiography, tells a story from his youth of going to see an elderly monk and how he was both drawn to and turned off by the monk's lifestyle of self-denial. He says to the monk, Yours is a hard life, Father. I too want to be saved. Is there no other way? More agreeable, the monk replies with kind of a smile on his face. More human, Father. One, only one, he says. What is that? Ascent. To climb a series of steps from the full stomach to hunger, from the slacked throat to thirst, from joy to suffering. God sits at the summit of hunger, thirst, and suffering. The devil sits at the summit of the comfortable life. You choose. In reply, Nico says, I'm still young. The world is nice. I have time to choose. But in the story, the old monk reaches out and he grabs Kazantakis by the knee and says, Wake up, my child. Wake up before death wakes you up. I am like young Nikos. I want a comfortable life. Are you the same? But what did Jesus say? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And it is only by following Jesus' example of a cross-shaped life of self-denial that we can be formed into people who are pervaded by the love and joy and peace of Jesus himself. And fasting is one of the best practices we have to cultivate a heart of self-denial in our overall life. In our practice, we are covering four reasons for fasting. One, to offer ourselves to Jesus. Two, to grow in holiness. Three, to amplify our prayers. And four, to stand with the poor. On the docket for session two is to grow in holiness. 
We left off last week with a theology of the body, this idea in Scripture that your body is a part of who you are, and our discipleship to Jesus must take seriously our body or our whole person. Let me tell you a bit more about what is happening in your body as you fast. There are three distinct physiological stages your body goes through in fasting. In the first four hours after a meal, your body is feeding on energy from the food in your stomach, its digestion. But around 16 hours in, so if you eat dinner at 6 p.m., then say 10 a.m. the following day, your body switches from burning glucose for energy to burning fat to a state called ketosis, which is incredibly good for you. Then around 24 hours in, your body shifts into a state called autophagy, a term from the Greek, which literally means self-eating. It begins to break down and cleanse your body of old, dead, or damaged cells, what doctors call zombie cells, the type of cellular material that causes maladies like cancer, aging, and chronic disease. Some doctors call autophagy your body's way of taking out the trash. As a result of the body's internal processes, which God designed himself, there are all sorts of health benefits to fasting. It can cleanse your body of toxins, increase your metabolism, reduce your weight. It can lower your insulin levels, inflammation, and blood pressure, strengthen your immune system, reduce your heart rate, slow aging, protect against and possibly reverse many diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and a range of neurological disorders, including Alzheimer's. It comes as no surprise that medical experts have been touting the benefits of fasting for a very long time. But while fasting is very good for your overall health, when we as followers of Jesus engage fasting as a spiritual discipline, The ultimate aim is not to lose weight or clean out our gut microbiome. And while we want to be careful to avoid a dualism that sees fasting as a spiritual discipline versus fasting as a healthy habit as an either-or rather than as a both-and, still, Pope Benedict's words ring true. In our own day, fasting seems to have lost something of its spiritual meaning and has taken on, in a culture characterized by the search for material well-being, a therapeutic value for the care of one's body. Fasting certainly brings benefits to physical well-being, but for believers, it is in the first place a therapy to heal all that prevents them from conformity to the will of God. Put another way, it's to grow in holiness. Holiness is a bit of a loaded word, But a shorthand way to understand a biblical theology of holiness is as wholeness. What health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. By that I mean your whole person. And in the same way that fasting is your body's way of purifying and purging your body of zombie cells that are killing you, so too fasting is your soul's way of purifying and purging your whole person of self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. Fasting is a way to sanctify your soul in the language of Scripture, to set it apart as holy and dedicate it to God for His special purposes. The saints have long attested to the power of fasting to grow in holiness. 
St. Augustine of Hippo, when asked why fast, said, because it is sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh in respect to licit pleasures in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys. Or here's St. Leo the Great from the 5th century, the Bishop of Rome. Fasting gives strength against sin, represses evil desires, repels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a good will, even unto the practice of every virtue. Thomas Kempis, the towering intellectual of the medieval period, said of fasting, Restrain from gluttony, and thou shalt the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. When you read the great ones of church history, you quickly realize that most all of them believed that without fasting, it's almost impossible to reach a high level of holiness. Pretty much all of them practice fasting with regularity and intensity. But they saw the stomach as both an enemy and a potential ally in the fight against sin. For example, gluttony is the first of the seven deadly sins of antiquity, and it's first on purpose because Christian thinkers have long said that an undisciplined appetite has a domino effect across all the areas of our life. They especially noted the connection between gluttony and sexual immorality that the capacity to steward our body's natural drives for food and sex in a healthy way rise or fall together. To make sense of this, let's suss out a little more of a theology of the body. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. In the last session, I quoted Paul's line to the Corinthians, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a home for God. But, Listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh." For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being." But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a famous passage because Paul seems to be naming the existential angst many of us feel around sin. What we want to do, we don't do. And what we don't want to do, we do. Do you ever feel this way? If so, you are not alone. And this self-defeating cycle that a lot of us get stuck in has to do with our body. Paul calls it a body of death. So which is it, Paul? Is the body a temple of the Holy Spirit or a body of death? The answer, both. In Paul's theology, in your body and your person as a whole, you have a spirit 
meaning a part of you that is a home for God, where your spirit is one with God's spirit. And you have a part of you that is infected by a fatal disease called sin. The word Paul uses for this warped part of our person is the flesh or sarx in Greek. Some translations render it as our sinful nature, others as self-indulgence. And the flesh does not mean matter, as in the English phrase flesh and bone. To repeat, you are a whole person. You cannot separate the material aspect of yourself from the immaterial. Your flesh has to do with your whole person. It's the instinctual drives in our body for things like food, sleep, sex, self-preservation, and instant gratification that have overpowered our will and bent our heart away from love and turned it in on itself. But it's also the more ethereal drives, too. Our desires for security and safety and affection and esteem and power and control. Not all bad, but often disordered. Augustine called the flesh our disordered desires. My point is, our fight is not against the body. It's for the body. Our fight is against the flesh. The call upon us as followers of Jesus is to take up your cross in the language of Jesus himself and put to death our flesh. Paul calls it crucifying the flesh, and it's a theme all through his letters. He writes to the Galatians, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He writes to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. The Reformed tradition calls this mortification from the root word mortal, as in we are to kill the flesh, not coddle it or make excuses for it or justify it or wink at it, but nail it to the cross. The question is, how? Ever tried to do this? Just stop sinning? I think I will stop lusting from now on. How's that working for you? Later in Romans, Paul goes on to write, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Translation, we can't use the flesh to defeat the flesh. Willpower is not enough. We need the power of the Spirit. To clarify, willpower is great, but it only works on very small changes. Willpower versus a plate of cookies is one thing. But willpower versus a pornography addiction, or drugs or alcohol, or outbursts of anger based on a childhood trauma, willpower doesn't stand a chance. As apprentices of Jesus, we need to find a way to draw on the same power that Jesus himself did, the power of the Spirit, in order to live out his teachings. Now, how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is through the practices of Jesus or the spiritual disciplines, especially fasting. It's one of the best disciplines we have to draw on the power of God to transform our whole person. Fasting is a way to feed your spirit and starve your flesh. You see, at least four things are happening in us as we fast. First, it's weaning us off the pleasure principle. 
Underneath our desire for food is an even deeper desire, what psychologists call the pleasure principle, which is the driving motivation of the immature, who only want to do what feels good in the moment. Once reserved for children and middle schoolers, the pleasure principle is fast becoming the new normal for all ages. So much of our culture is built around the mantra, if it feels good, do it. But as we all know, many things that feel good in the short term reap damage in the long term. And on the flip side, many things that are no fun at all in the short term yield dividends for years to come. Through fasting, we mature beyond the pleasure principle, and we learn how to do the right thing even when it's hard. And we learn how to be happy and content even when we don't get what we want. As a result, when we can't get what we want, due to life circumstances or other people's decisions or even God's sovereign appointment over our lives, we are increasingly free of anger or anxiety and instead are joyful and at peace no matter what does or does not happen. Secondly, it's revealing what's in our heart. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, writes, Fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting teaches us so much about ourselves, our unhealthy relationship to food, how weak we are, how much we need pleasure to be happy, how far we are from God. It's very humbling. But as all this stuff comes up from the substrata to the surface of our heart and it's exposed in all of its ugliness, we have the chance to offer it back to God and in doing so, be set free. Third, it's reordering our desires. One of my favorite things about fasting is when I fast, I notice my desires change. I find myself wanting to sin less and wanting to be holy more. My desires for lust or greed or to hold on to bitterness go down as my desires for purity, kindness, and compassion go up. Especially in my struggle against lust, I feel a profound change in my sexual desire. I notice a purifying and a purging of my whole person, and it's like sexual desire is transformed into a yearning for God himself. God is at work deep in my person to do by his power what my willpower cannot possibly do, transform me. On that note, finally, it's drawing on the power of God to overcome sin. Fasting is a discipline or a habit, and like any good habit, it's a way to increase our willpower muscle. It's a way to grow in both self-control and self-discipline. Self-control is the ability to say no to something, to not do something you want to do but is bad for you in the long term. Self-discipline is the ability to say yes to something, to do something you don't want to do but is good for you in the long term. Together, they make for self-mastery. Disciplines like fasting are a way to bring your whole person back under the mastery or control of your will or your heart's good intentions. But again, willpower alone is not strong enough to break the chains of our flesh Fasting is ultimately about drawing your energy from the Holy Spirit's power, from a relational connection to God himself. As we come to God and give him our weakness, 
He comes to us and gives us his strength. If you wanted to summarize all that, you could just say fasting is a way to turn your body from an enemy into an ally in your fight against the flesh. That's why fasting is so hard, especially at first. It really does get easier, I promise you. When I first started practicing, I was in a bad mood for most of it. But now that I practice regularly, my fasting days are the most joyful, peaceful, grounded days of my week, really. But at first, it is hard because you are essentially picking a fight with your flesh. But the more you do it, and the more your flesh is weakened through self-denial and your spirit strengthened by connection to God, the more free you become. The discipline of fasting is a pathway to freedom. As a pastor, whenever I talk to someone who is trapped in ongoing sin, and especially if the sin is sexual in nature, I pretty much always recommend they start fasting. In addition to the work of therapy and community and all of that, because fasting is one of the most powerful weapons we have to break the chains of sin and set our heart free. Remember, the practices are how we do what we can do, open our mind and body to God, so that the Spirit of God can do what we cannot do, break the chains of sin. When you can't overcome a sin, pornography or gossip or yelling at your kids, because it's outside the range of your willpower, Here's what you can do. Fast and offer your body to God and let his spirit break the hold of sin over your body and set you free. I believe one of the reasons the church in the West is so weak in power and diminished by sin and deluded by worldliness is we have left off this core practice of fasting. It's time to take it up again. But before we end, Remember last week's main point. The ultimate aim of fasting is Jesus himself. Yes, it's to grow in holiness or wholeness, to open your whole person to the Spirit of God and let him form you into a person of love and goodness. But even more so, it's what the ancients called union with God. As Jesus himself said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To see God, this, this is the soul's true ache. To see, to look at, to behold the beauty of the Trinity. Holiness is not a formula because God is a person, not a math equation. And he is compassionate in the core of his being. But like it or not, there is a reciprocal relationship between our level of holiness and our vision of God. How badly do you want to see God? Again, you don't have to fast. It's not commanded by Jesus or any of the writers in the New Testament. But pretty much all of the saints have long said, not only is it powerful, it's essential. In the same way that there just is no substitute for healthy eating and regular exercise for a flourishing body, so too, there is no substitute for fasting and a life of self-denial for a flourishing soul. And remember this, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, but the cross is always followed by resurrection, death by life, Friday by Sunday. So 
if you want to grow in holiness, and if you want to see God in a greater way than ever before, practice fasting. Circle up as a group and talk through the following three questions. Number one, what idea stuck out to you from the teaching? Number two, what do you think about the idea of using your body to change your heart towards God and sin? And number three, how can we as a community be there for one another in our struggle against sin and for holiness? Hi, my name is Josh White. Fasting for me, uh, it actually began um, back in 2007, and I actually was working as a pastor with uh, with John Mark, um, and he came up with this idea to do seven days of prayer and fasting. So I'd never fasted before, uh, and so the first time I fasted was uh, a seven day stretch, which was which was a lot. And I'm pretty sure that I was like the obnoxious pastor on staff who talked about food every day. So, it, but it was a, but the powerful thing at that moment was that it was the first time I discovered that you actually have the power to say no to the flesh. And I went through a season of severe anxiety that was crippling, almost knocked me out of ministry. It actually came to an end when I went away um, to a cabin on the Deschutes River over in Eastern Oregon. And just I prayed and fasted, and it was in that in that season of denying the flesh that the Lord revealed an area of just you know there was physiological reasons, there was chemical imbalances, all sorts of things that played into that time of anxiety, but there was a revelation also of sin, and that was the idea that the church the church couldn't survive without me. Like and fasting really. Um, creates space for the Spirit to speak to us on things that we might be utilizing food and other things that we kind of need to lay down from time to time um, to, to allow the Spirit to truly do that surgical work that isn't necessarily fun, um, but the blessing that comes out of that is beautiful. This may be a new idea to you, fasting to grow in holiness. But as you continue this practice, you'll discover the power of fasting to overcome sin. Our exercise for this coming week is very similar to last week's. It's to fast for one day until sundown. In the Hebrew fasting tradition, sundown is defined as when you see the first three stars in the sky, but you can decide when to break your fast. This week, try focusing your heart on the second reason, to grow in holiness. Then pick a day that works well for you. Again, Wednesday or Friday are ideal to get in touch with Christians around the world and through church history. If possible, do this on the same day together as a community. Fast until sundown that day, then eat a simple meal to complete your fast. Now, if that's too much for you, just fast as long as you can. Start where you are and then slowly move forward. Remember, the fasting is a way to feed your spirit and starve your flesh. 
So during the time you'd normally be shopping, cooking or eating, give yourself to prayer and focus your heart's motivation on your desire to grow in holiness. As you pray throughout the day or whenever a hunger pain comes, you may want to pray, God, purify my heart and burn my whole being clean. Don't forget to fill out your practice reflection in your companion guide before you come back. It'll take just a few minutes. The REACH exercise is the same as last week. Fast for two days. Any two days is great except for the Sabbath because that is meant to be a day for feasting, not fasting. The recommended read in is chapters 5 to 10 of God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. Also, listen to episode 2 of the Rule of Life Season 3 podcast on fasting by practicing the way. Now to close. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.